What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. Happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. Monday is the day that I put out my free weekly newsletter, the Bitcoin Fundamentals Report. So we're going to be going through that today, uh, reading everything about headlines going on, not only in Bitcoin, but macro, Bitcoin price, mining, the mining industry, see what's going on there. And then I have a really interesting layer two story that we'll cover at the end. So let's jump right into it. Share the screen. Bitcoinandmarkets.com. This is where you find all of my content, where you can sign up for this free weekly newsletter. I also have a premium newsletter that goes out on Fridays and uh, all sorts of stuff for members over here on the website. So check it out, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Let's go right into the fundamentals report. Just getting right down to business. So you can see, I always start with a meme. Bitcoin is about the memes, right? And I saw this from the BTC therapist. And I was looking for something like this because, man, we we just did not have any volatility over, you know, the last couple months, really. Maybe even going back three months. And so, yeah, Bitcoin, come on, do something. And then it goes the opposite way that we have wanted. But you know, volatility is back, baby. So we're going to cover all of that. All right. Up first is a snapshot of Bitcoin. And I'm going to zoom in a little bit here. Uh, So snapshot of Bitcoin. Volatility is back. That's the weekly trend. Of course, we had the big sell-off and we'll go into that here in a second. The media sentiment is down from very positive back down to positive. We've had a couple delays in the ETFs. So that has uh, brought this down actually one delay from the arc but then also grayscale's lack of judgment we were kind of waiting for that at the end of last week didn't happen so there's a few things that have made this go down from very positive to just positive as well of course the price dump and so you have the ensuing bad headlines for bitcoin but no news is bad news in bitcoin land um you know the more people find out about it uh even if they don't buy into it right? Then they'll say, oh, that's just a Ponzi scheme or that's just a scam. And then they hear about it a couple years later and it's three times higher in price. Oh man, maybe I should really take a look at this. They don't do it. Then it comes back, even if it's bad news and say another two or three years down the road, oh, the price is like eight times higher. And, uh, you know, then people finally take a look at it and start, uh, digging in and falling down the rabbit hole. So no news is bad news. Uh, it just has to come across people's screens more and more. So, okay. Network network traffic is actually low. I should have changed this down to low and we will look at the mempool and uh, fees and stuff here in a second. So the mining industry is surging, supposed to be an increase in difficulty by 7% coming up here today, probably by the end of today. Uh, what else? Oh, days until having 339. We're ticking down. Before you know, it will be under 200, then we'll be under 90, and then it will, you know, we'll be into the, uh, you know, just a month away from halving, and hopefully price will be a lot higher. But yeah, 239 days estimated until the halving. Um, Okay, weekly price. This is the big story, of course, down $3,400 from last issue. That's over 11%, um, but there's no news. (laughs) When I go over the price, excuse me, when I go over the price, I mean, we'll cover that. There's just a lack of news out there. And yet Bitcoin is selling off most oversold 
in uh, years. Okay, market cap still holding that half a trillion. That, uh, this reminds me of back in 2018 when we were holding the $100 billion line. And a lot of people, including myself, they were saying this $100 billion market cap is kind of a psychological level. Uh, the big money will try to keep it above that. Of course, that didn't end up. Uh, the price did not stay above the $100 billion market cap. It fell, but then it quickly recovered in 2019. But yeah, the $500 billion market cap, roughly. Satoshi's per dollar, 3839 One finny or one ten-thousandth of a Bitcoin. That's my preferred denomination besides sats, I guess. Uh, that's $2.60. Mining sector. The previous adjustment that happened two weeks ago now was barely positive, but the next estimated adjustment is 7.1% by the end of the day. Uh, mempool is going down slightly. Last week, it was about 135. Now it's 125 megabytes. Those are transactions that are waiting to be confirmed in the Bitcoin network. And as there's more transactions waiting, then, uh, you know, the fees will go up. So when the transact, when the mempool is falling, usually fees are also low. And we see that here, 29 cents to get in the next block. That's eight virtual or sorry, sats per virtual byte. And the median fee is also 29 cents. Pretty level activity going on in or on the Bitcoin network. Lightning capacity, once again. How, how long have I put this on the snapshot for? A year now, maybe? We just keep falling, guys. Another almost percent down on the capacity, down to 4,716 Bitcoins. These are pub, this is public capacity. So there could be some you know, uh, Tor capacity or private channels that don't show up uh, on my statistics, but uh, the public numbers don't look good. Uh, channels continue to fall another half a percent down, lost on net for over 400 channels this last week. All right. In case you missed it, the next section is all my content. I had an extensive write-up on the price dip. Uh, I didn't, it, it was extensive, but there's not much you can say about it right now. We have to wait another few days, maybe into the end of this week, to see what happens to the price dip because um, there's just not a lot of information to go on. It came out of nowhere from a low volatility period and it, the bottom just fell out. There's a lot of liquidations and things. Um, so I, I did my best to write up um, an extensive look at what we're seeing here on the price. And that is for my premium newsletter, Market Pro, number 25. Published two podcasts last week. If Even if you watch these live streams, I appreciate you guys also watching or listening to the podcast. That's another way I monetize my uh, content because they have, I'm putting ads on the front of there. So uh, that helps me make a little bit of money off of the show. FedWatch, of course, came out last week. It was a good one. It was all about um, GDP, like Japan and U.S. GDP numbers are looking really good. But there's something hidden in a GDP calculus, uh, and that is imports-exports. So really what they do is they take net exports. So the amount of goods you export minus the amount of goods that you import. And they add that to GDP. So for the U.S., that's typically negative, right, because we run a trade, a big trade deficit. Um, 
But for countries like Japan, they run a trade surplus and their imports fell dramatically while their exports have remained quite constant this year. So that's making their GDP look really good. I mean, if you take this, this uh, import-export numbers out, it was a negative GDP quarter. I mean, even if you just count count it as um, constant, you know, their import-exports as constant, uh, they would have a negative GDP on the quarter. Now, inputs or imports are bad. Uh, I mean, if falling imports are bad for Japan because they are a, you know, they import the raw materials and they export finished goods usually um, or semi-intermediate goods of some sort from the raw materials. So, you know, imports going down is a leading indicator that their economy is slowing, that the global economy, the demand for exports is slowing. So what's first going to drop off before exports? The imports. And that's what we're seeing. It So, you know, a lot of times in markets, you'll get a blow off top or a, uh, you know, just a wick that goes all the way down um, and then bounces right back up. Those type, those things tend to happen at the end of cycles. And this type of GDP thing with this big spike in GDP kind of looks to me like a blow off top of sorts. So the, this Q2 for Japan, maybe Q3 for the U.S., could be like a blow-off top, and we're going down from there. But that remains to be seen. Talked about it extensively on FedWatch. And, of course, I have my two blog posts that I've covered here on the podcast. All right, headlines. And you'll have to excuse me if I cough here, guys, because I'm still trying to get over this this uh, tickle in the throat. I do think it's COVID. Um, apparently, a new strain or whatever is going around and uh it's just the weirdest cold but getting over it slowly okay the bitcoin dip the main news headline this week was the price dip i'll get into that more in the price section uh and wrote about it on market pro but let's talk here a little about where we are in the cycle regardless of what some naysayers will say and i have seen this going around a lot in the last week a lot, not just after the price dip. It has picked up again since the price dip, but even before the price dip, they people are calling Bitcoin cycles dead, but I say Bitcoin cycles are not dead. I'll go as far as to say that the cycles won't even follow the minor trend of getting smaller over time. So, you know, the first cycle when Bitcoin got its first price to its bl- the blow off top was gigantic. And then uh, the second cycle that st- uh, went to, what was it, 2014, end of 2014, that one uh, was less big than the 2017 cycle was less big. 2020, was, you know, 2021 was less big. Uh, so people are thinking that that is going to continue. But if we continue like that, I don't think we could ever hyper Bitcoinize the world. It would never get there. I mean... It would take, I haven't run the numbers, but it would take a hundred years or something like that. And I just don't think it's going to take that long. So I don't believe that that trend of smaller and smaller having cycles is going to continue. I think we're going to get a major one here. Um, we are well into the stage 
where we should see some breakout, yet we see a breakdown. This portends much higher volatility in the future as price recovers. It has to catch up. It definitely has to catch up. And I've been talking about this uh, for several months now. The closer we got to, because I had my seasonal call of end of Q3 where a lot of stuff was going to happen and it might happen. I mean, it's looking maybe like it might at the end here of Q3. Um, but I've been, I said like, if we're going to hit my targets by the end of Q3, we would have to really get moving. We're falling behind the, you know, pace clock or whatever. And, um, or behind schedule. We are like that still. Okay. It's still happening. Um, so as you can see, the white line is starting to fall behind the other cycles. This is offset by major events. Or this is offset. Yeah, this is offset by major events coming up that could cause the price to rapidly appreciate like the spot ETF. Volatility begets volatility. And let me pull this up. Uh, this is by Charts BTC on Twitter. You see the white line down here. Uh, it start. This is without the recent dip too. Uh, that would put us below the pink line, but we are falling behind schedule. Not even on my Q3 schedule, but on the halving schedule, we're falling behind. I've looked at the different cycles um, and where retraces happen before the halving, you know, all this stuff. All all comparisons were late. We are now late. So if we're falling here and we believe in these four-year cycles are going to continue, and we're going to have hyper-Bitcoinization sometime in the next 10, 20 years, not 100. We have to get moving, right? And so that is going to mean volatility is going to pick up major. All right, so that's all I had about that. Okay, moving on. Next headline. Um, SEC, there, there was a story. The SEC was delaying the Bitcoin ETFs until early 2024. Uh, that was fake news circulating this week. Uh, this story popped up. Most people just read this dishonest headline and ran with it. If they would have read the story, it talks about the potential move by as much as 240 days into 2024. Not that they are. Man, I had a lot of typos in, in this. Um, the entire Bitcoin market is on pins and needles about the approval of the spot ETF. Headlines like this can really spook the market. Also, I don't. Uh, I wouldn't put it past altcoiners to purpose, purposefully attempt to bring Bitcoin down as it looks more and more like the scam side of this industry is not coming back. We've gone from Bitcoin is shit, my scam coin is so much better to come on Bitcoiners, why are you so divisive? We're all in this together. And so I don't think it will be very long until they come after Bitcoin once again, once it sinks in that their scam tokens are dead. I wouldn't be surprised if they plant some ugly fake news headlines in, a t in an attempt to wreck and I cut off Bitcoin. <laughs> Sorry, uh, typos all over the place on this this week, guys. Uh, Grayscale expands ETF team is the next headline. This news came out before the recent dump in price and before the D.C. Court of Appeals possibly could have ruled on the Grayscale versus SEC case last week. So I think it was Thursday possibility of uh, grayscale winning against the SEC. I mean, some ruling coming out, nothing came out. Uh, tomorrow, again, is a chance where we could see something. But uh, before all these deadlines started popping up, uh, we saw grayscale starting to hire 
uh, for their ETF team, which means maybe they're pretty confident that they're going to be able to turn GBTC into an ETF sooner rather than later. Very interesting. Okay, Binance BMP token is looking really bad. People are starting to notice some similarities with Binance and FTX. FTX uh, accepted mass deposits in Bitcoin and then traded against their customers with shell companies. FTX issued their token to stand as collateral for massive loans to get back customer funds lost trading against those customers. Binance seems to be doing the same thing. From the SEC filing against them, we know they have shell companies set up to provide market liquidity and trade against customers. They are also uh, they also launched their own token, BNB, and levered up on it. It is theorized that they are now selling Bitcoin to buy BNB, and where that you know could have something to do with this most recent Bitcoin dip here to avoid a big liquidation in their BNB. And CZ has also come out on Twitter saying that he's 99% in BNB, 1% in Bitcoin or something like that. So these guys are just levered up like crazy on this BNB. And you can see the price chart. Um, people were theorizing that 220 was this liquidation level because it was acting as support right here in the last month and a half or so. Um, but it has fallen through that. I got all the way down to $208. And we, ha- we have seen no like massive explosion going on over there in Binance. So we'll see. We'll see how this goes forward. But it's not looking good. Um, all right. Now I have some, some – uh, I'm adding some of my own color here. So I say, it is interesting to look at this from an SEC BlackRock lens. The SEC is accusing Binance of corruption and market manipulation, exactly what they want to get rid of before approving a Bitcoin spot ETF. Perhaps BlackRock and other powers that be are trying to blow up Binance. If Binance goes under, they might think they have a greater chance for the ETF to get approval. So that's just kind of my uh, conspiracy theory here. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Macro headlines. Okay, so Bitcoin, other than the price dip, there wasn't a ton going on. We have that BNB stuff, um, but not a ton of exciting news. But in macro, man, things are heating up. So U.S. 10-year yield is screaming higher. This is one of the biggest stories right now, but I see everyone getting it wrong. People think that rising yields are because higher for longer is sinking in to the market. So, you know, Higher, the Fed is going to keep rates higher for longer. But just on the face of that, it doesn't make sense. I mean, look at this chart here. The Fed funds target is already up there. Um, it really hasn't affected the 10-year at all. You would be hard-pressed to find – I mean, you could find a very broad correlation that rates have gone up as Fed funds has gone up. But if you break it down, that correlation – starts to fall apart and even if it is correlated that's not causation okay it just happens to be that the 10-year was going up and the fed had to catch up there is no mechanical way that this works so um no I, i don't think this has anything to do with people thinking higher for longer people i mean major asset allocators that we're talking about trillions of dollars in in treasuries 
they don't just let, you know, something just doesn't sink into them. It, it evolves. The market evolves. Something else is going on here. Um, I think it's a dollar shortage. I try to, I try to go into that. So China and Japan are both selling treasuries to pay debt and prop up their currencies. Trade is crashing. Dollars are not coming in. And especially China is in a credit crisis. They need dollars badly. So they're selling their USTs. That is much more logical about what's happening here. Also the interest rate fallacy. So I often talk about the interest rate fallacy that says rates go up when money is loose. Money is definitely not loose right now. Money is tight. Rates are going up in a managed linear way. So if you look at this, it's like tick, 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 tick. The last five weeks, it's just going up, 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 up. I mean, we saw something similar over here back at the end of 2022, but this just looks very manufactured to me. Um, and that would make sense if China was system, systematically selling treasuries into the market to raise dollars to pay their debts so they don't default. Um, we can also see this in gold, the dollar, and the Chinese yuan. And I did a little bit of research on this and was posting uh, this weekend on Telegram about all this. and looking at these charts and being like, whoa, you know, these, these are all moving together in this very mechanical step function. It's not like, you know, random walk in the market where you're used to seeing some red and green candles mixed in. You see a trend go one way and it back, back tests to the 50 day moving average or something then goes up. Like we're not, it's, we're not seeing that this is um, in gold, the dollar, the yuan and the U S treasuries. They are just tick, 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 moving, moving up in unison. So it's very, very interesting. Something is going on with this relationship with the yuan and the dollar and gold, you know, and rates. Okay. Uh, just breaking to new highs will likely cause some panic leading to some crisis event soon. What happened back here in, at the end of 2023 we had the guilt crisis. Um, then here in March at this top, we had the, you know, all the stuff with the banks in the U.S. And now up here, something is going on. There is some pressure. Some big whale is having some problems. And I think that's China. So a feedback loop is also possible. China sells because of solvency issues, causing rates to go up and prices down, making their assets, the U.S. treasuries they still hold, worth less and forces them to sell more. The end is a large Chinese default of something that won't shake their economy to its core. I don't know what that is yet, but I think they are acting actively looking for something to lump all the bad debts into and let it fail. Just like with, uh, you know, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, they lumped all the bad debts into one company or whatever uh, maybe two companies, if you count AIG. And so they lumped all these bad things in there and then they let that one go ahead and fail. So I think that's China is going to look at that playbook from the United States during the great financial crisis and do something similar. But where does that go? What, what is it that they're going to let be the scapegoat here? Um, that's what we're all kind of waiting for. That's what I'm waiting for. And that could happen soon. I mean, this chart, 
it doesn't look natural. Something is going on here. Okay. Uh, China shadow banks imploding. Another week, another leg lower in the China crisis. I talked about this on FedWatch this week near the end of the episode. Chinese investment funds, which are wink, not banks, are missing payments left and right. Uh, I read this on FedWatch, but they're missing payments on dozens of products. The company doesn't have an immediate plan to to cover the payments. Um, the, it, it's among the biggest firms in the country with 2.9 trillion uh, tr- in the 2.9 trillion trust industry, which pools savings from wealthy households and corporate c- clients to make loans and invest in real estate, stocks, bonds, and commodities. Well, what's happening to real estate over there? It's crashing. What's happening to commodities? They aren't crashing, but they're not going up. They're they're going down slightly, right? Um, U.S. bonds are the rates are going higher. I mean, the stock market over there is crashing over in China, the Shanghai, and also Hong Kong. So uh, this is just not looking good for these people, and they're starting to miss payments. And these are major, major players. Liquidity has dried up unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, imagine what. Who are they paying to be their macro analyst if this is unexpectedly? Obviously, that's a, just a narrative propaganda, uh, making it hard to meet short-term debt obligations as most of the underlying assets are long-term and illiquid, he said. The products bear some resemblance to a funding pool, referring to previously widespread practice where proceeds from new products are used to pay other investors. This method was banned by regulators a few years ago. So I say, in other words, they are Ponzi schemes and they're blowing up. China is one big Ponzi scheme. The big danger is that a negative feedback loop kicks in with property stress causing strains in the financial system, undermining credit expansion and depressing growth, which in turn exacerbates the slump in the property sector. I mean, guys, I've been talking about this for how many years? For how many years? It's not going to be fixed. China is not coming back. China is on a one-way trip here. Their economic miracle is over. All right, next story. China's 40-year boom is over. What comes next? (laughs) Uh, Okay. Um, Everyone is jumping on the China bear bandwagon now. I've been here for for the long haul. Here is the Wall Street Journal actually uh, here is the Wall Street Journal actually bringing up that the CCP is communist. Shock. I mean, they don't say it outright like that, but let's let's read into this. So the most obvious solution, economists say, would be for China to shift towards promoting consumer spending and service industries, which would help create a more balanced economy that more resembles those of the U.S. and Western Europe. Household consumption makes up only about 38% of GDP in China, relatively unchanged in recent years, compared with around 68% in the U.S., according to the World Bank. Changing, uh, Changing that would require China's government to undertake measures aimed at encouraging people to spend more and save less. That could include expanding China's relatively meager social safety net with uh, greater health and unemployment benefits. Here's the kicker. Xi and some of his lieutenants remain suspicious of U.S.-style consumption, which they see as wasteful at a time when China's 
focus should be on bolstering its industrial capabilities and girding for potential conflict with the West. Yeah, that, that capitalism is suspicious. Capitalism and the corresponding economic growth and the corresponding consumption is suspicious. This is why I say it's admitting that they're communists because uh, th- this, this could be right out of like the Soviet Union. You know, let's, con- let's just push up that, that, turn that dial up on industrial capabilities. They're already like way, way, way too far out on their overbuilding, their infrastructure building, uh, their capability to pump out steel and concrete and all this up there. They are just, ex- just way out and beyond any rational level of those things. So what do they, what do they think is a solution? Let's do more of it. <laughs> it's just so crazy. All right. I'm quite surprised by this article. It sounds like something I would have written a few years ago, and now it is sinking into the entire world. China is not their successful Marxist example they so desperately wanted. I just added this in there because, yeah, China is Marxist. They're communist. They're not going to be able to bounce back. All right, Japan could do it. They were slightly authoritarian over there, but not nearly to the communist level. Um where capitalism is more adaptable and it can bounce back, communism can't. It's a one-way train. Where this goes, eventually the CCP is going to break up, but how long will that be? How long can they extend and pretend this? I don't know. The longer it goes, the worse for the Chinese people. So hopefully it doesn't go very long. Uh, but also they, they wanted this Marxist example because these Marxists, that are also in charge of the West right now that are losing grip of the West. They so they, they were so disappointed with the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, if you read like our uh, scholarly publications and stuff going up uh, into 1989, maybe 1988, the Soviet Union was still, it was fine. Everything was fine. It was still going to take over from the greedy capitalists. Very few people saw the fall of the Soviet Union coming. And it was hip in academic circles where Marxists tend to be, congregate, to really like the USSR. And then it falls apart. And everywhere, you know, the Soviet Union is breaks, you know, the Soviet Union breaks up and communism goes away for the most part, other than China. And um, it was a bad example. The Marxists looked really stupid. But now they could lean on China. They could say, hey, look, China, they're, mar- they're communist and it works great. Look, they're the, they're the, this is the Chinese century coming up. They're the example of how to uh, have a command economy. We can do it, guys. All we need is computers now. The Soviet Union, the, way, the reason they went wrong is they didn't have computers like we have today. We can calculate proper production. It's just crazy. But this is what they think. This, that's why this Chinese Thucydides trap, peer competitor, all of this stuff was so popular. Because it was a Marxist example that supposedly was looking like it's working. But it's not working, people. It's over. We're going to have to get, get used to that. And that, that's interesting, too, if you think about that in um, 
context of populism rising in the West again. So there's going to be a dichotomy here. Instead of wanting to emulate China with command and control Marxism, we're not going to want to have Marxism. It's going to be unpopular. You can't hide from it. And it's going to separate us back again. And we're going to um, we're going to have a self-esteem because of our capitalism and because of our economy and all that stuff where we were trying to kind of look like China in a way. But anyway, that, that I just thought that was interesting. That's a lot to sum up in one sentence. But anyway, there you go. Okay, price analysis. Of course, make sure you sign up for my professional tier and you'll get once a week. <clears throat> Uh, price analysis in depth in Bitcoin, but also macro and commodities and stuff. So, okay. Bitcoin charts. Volatility is back, baby. Or is it? We dropped 11% and just hit the ground with zero bounce. I mean, it's like plop, nothing, no bounce at all on this. So volatility came back for approximately two days and now it's no volatility again. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, after this week's wild liquidation sell-off, price has once again stabilized uh, around 26000 Last week, I said, if we fall out of this pattern, ETF approval becomes less or becomes very questionable, in my opinion. I stick to that call. I think the Bitcoin ETF will get delayed on, September, on the September 1st deadline. On September 1st, there's seven Bitcoin ETFs coming up. Um, I think they'll all get delayed pushing them, I think it go another 45 days. And then after that, it goes to 60 days. But I could be wrong on how how long out they push them. Um, but with the delay, it becomes less likely to get approved overall. BlackRock is fighting for it though. So anything could happen. This sell-off had no accompanying major news event, but looks very familiar with, uh, sorry, very similar to major crashes in 2022. A very big flush on no news seems weird. And so this was a glass node chart. Let me bring this up. And you can see these are uh, total liquidations. Down here we got $230 million worth of liquidations on these uh, exchanges they're watching. Uh, doesn't say what exchanges it says. Total daily liquidations and futures liquidations as well. Um, that puts it right in the ballpark of the Luna collapse, more than the FTX collapse, um, more than the Celsius collapse, going all the way back to January of 2022 and December of 2021. There was a couple events, um, but this puts us in major like crash territory on no news. It's just crazy. This does not fit with the extremely bullish media sentiment around Bitcoin. BlackRock and even Bitcoin mining is getting tons of love. Some might say the BlackRock news pumped Bitcoin's price too far. Not the case. Bitcoin barely hit overbought after BlackRock. It was much higher back in January. And let's look at this chart. So this is the RSI. This is the post BlackRock spike. Barely got oversold, or sorry, overbought. But if we go back to January on that initial run up, we got really, really overheated here, up to ninety on the RSI. That's very high. All right, 
So it wasn't overheated after BlackRock in need of consolidation or anything. That is not the case whatsoever. Okay. Um, as you can see above, the RSI is printing some historic level lows. So bring this up again. We are back down here. The low was 19.54. I don't know exactly how far back that goes, but that is extremely low. I think it's lower than F, uh, FTX. I think you might have to go back to COVID, uh, the COVID crash, to see a daily RSI that low. But I could be wrong. I've, I forgot. I, I detailed that on the Market Pro. Uh, so check that out. Um, Bitcoin is extremely oversold right now. It's way more oversold than it was ever overbought after BlackRock. That's for sure. Um, we are in need of an immediate rally, a relief or temporary rally at least. So maybe on this chart, you know, come back up, test the underside of the 200-day at least. We cannot hold these oversold this oversold territory for much longer. It's going to break back upwards. However, when we look at some of the important moving averages, we can see that price sliced right through the 200-day and the 200-week MAs, a very bearish sign. So you just look to the daily, and let's go to the weekly. You can see that also drop down here below this 200-week moving average. 50-week is still coming up, but at this at this rate, it's not going to cross the 200-day for a golden cross on the weekly. That would be the first ever golden cross in Bitcoin's history, by the way. So, okay, um, let me just double check all my levels here. All right. Um, overall, I won't make specific calls on this new newsletter. I do that in the Market Pro. I will say that this is a very strange dip. It is on the magnitude of Celsius or FTX with zero bad news. Indicators are in desperate need for some relief. There must be something big happening in the background. Perhaps it is Binance failing as we speak. Perhaps it is large asset allocators like BlackRock playing whale games. One thing is for sure, this is a great time to stack some sats. Consider upping your DCA total at this juncture. All right, and that's it for price. Let's move on to mining. I have mining headlines and then some mining statistics. So headlines, Oman introduces a crypto mining center valued at $350 million. Should, uh, I should have struck through crypto here as a Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, let's read a little bit, an excerpt from this story. So Oman's Ministry of Transport, Communications, and Information Technology has reportedly opened a new data housing, or sorry, cheese Louise, opened a new data hosting and Bitcoin mining center at the Salaha Free Zone. The facility's estimated value is over 135 dirhams, million dirhams, I guess that is, uh, Oman dirhams, I'm not sure, uh, or 350 million. This is the second major crypto mining facility that popped up in Oman after the one in November of 2022. So they are increasing their mining. I mean, this is a much better use of their money than what Saudi is doing with that, the line city, you know, the Neom or whatever they call it, where they're building that like 50 mile long strip 
of a city that's going to cost trillions of dollars. I mean, they, they should just become leaders in Bitcoin mining. That's a much better use of their money. Okay, Genesis Digital Assets expands Bitcoin mining in Sweden. The data center's capacity is currently at 8 megawatts with plans to uh, for further expansion in the near future and has been operational since June. The new facility is strategically located near the 417 megawatt uh, Porius hydroelectric power station known for its carbon-free electricity production. GDA, or Genesis Digital Assets, aims to take advantage of this renewable energy source for its Bitcoin mining operations. Very interesting. I mean, just more and more stories about more and more Bitcoin mining operations being set up all around the world. Of course, this is a interesting headline with this hydroelectric power station. Um, I think the story said this was way north. So it's like in Sweden, it's way, it's way north from, you know, I'm trying to picture the geography in my head. I think it's north of Stockholm quite a ways, but uh, so yeah, it's, it's not very productive or uh, a bad idea to produce this electricity far away from your population center. So it must be fairly close to Stockholm, but um, the, if there's excess power up there, let's use it. Let's use it. Clean power for Bitcoin mining. It's, it's great. And Bitcoin is expanding everywhere you look. This is the most bullish period of the last like six months that I've ever seen Bitcoin mining. The entire narrative has been flipped on its head from Bitcoin being bad to now Bitcoin being good. And places like Sweden that have come out against Bitcoin mining over and over and over again are putting in new data centers to mine Bitcoin. I mean, it's crazy. Okay. It's crazy bullish, I should say. Solo miner solves valid Bitcoin block amid rising network hash rate. So a miner identified with the tag and then they have the address achieved the impressive feat using the solo CK pool mining service. Con Colivis, I guess that's how you say, say his name, the administrator of Solo CK Pool, speculated that this miner was using an S17 Bitcoin miner and only had a hash power of r- roughly one petahash. I don't know how much that is, how many S17s would need to make one petahash, but it's more than one, right? It's got to be like, um, oh man, it's got to be hundreds, isn't it? So it's kind of weird to call this person a solo miner, but which is miles lower than most BCC mining entities? Well, of course. Meanwhile, this is the third time this year that a solo miner using solo CK pool has processed a block. Two independent miners were able to solve BTC blocks in March and June. So that's interesting. I mean, just set something up and enter the lottery. You know, it's it's a lottery ticket where you're also protecting the network and you're actually you're tinkering and learning things about how bitcoin works and stuff i think it's a a great idea and project and hopefully people will do this i mean this would be awesome to do in actual uh like high school class you know is uh, i'm trying to think of stuff that people make in high school maybe you have to write a program if you're taking coding or if you're in shop class you know you build something 
or if you are in science, you are doing your the stereotypical thing where you dissect a frog or whatever. Well, building a Bitcoin node and mining is something that would be awesome to teach in some IT class in high school. Uh, it fits perfectly to teach a lot of different topics uh, all in one thing. But uh, cool. Okay. Difficulty and hash rate. Bitcoin's difficulty adjusts in about 20 hours from the time of writing. It is estimated to be a huge positive adjustment as high as 7%. That is yet another data point that doesn't match with the recent sell-off. So I don't know how high this chart will get, but it's going to go up. We'll see if it gets over 55T uh, for the difficulty. I don't know what T stands for. <laughs> uh, mempool is extremely stable despite the price sell-off as well. We don't see a spike of people running out to send their Bitcoin to the exchanges to sell. So that there is the mempool is not agreeing with this either. So let's take a look at this. Very, very stable. Look how stable that has been. That's amazing. And fees are really low. 29 cents for transaction. Okay. Uh, Lightning and layer two. So this one, this story blew me away. So Tether stops minting USDT on three blockchains. And those are Bitcoin Omni, um, Bitcoin Cash or Bcash. And a third one that I can't remember wasn't Solana, but it was something like that. So like they're ditching those three networks or layers, I guess, because Omni is a layer on Bitcoin. Uh, it's the first layer two on Bitcoin, uh, formerly known as MasterCoin. I think it was the first ICO in, in history as well, but uh, it is a layer two of Bitcoin. It was originally the home of Tether. And now they're finally coming, you know, the everything comes back and now they're dropping Omni altogether. It, it only accounted for a very small percentage of the Tether volume anyway. Most volume was going on Ethereum um, or Tron. Now, I had this, you know, we've talked about this a lot in past years in Bitcoin. And I've probably talked about it on the show here in past years, like you know, four or five years ago. But uh, Tether is like a parasite okay it's good i have nothing at all against tether i think they've been really great with bitcoin uh great bitcoiners and stuff but they are a parasite they couldn't quite um make it on bitcoin because of the higher fees when fees were you know getting up to like 10 20 30 dollars during the scaling conflict so they moved over to ethereum and they were it was like over half of the volume on Ethereum was Tether and fees were sky high. So then they move over to Tron and they're just a parasite. Okay. And the, the problem there too, is that Ethereum could change. Ethereum could change the rules. Um, they could add more room to their blocks and stuff like that. So, you know, increase the gas limit, things of that nature. So you could put more transactions in there, but they had to do that. Tether forced them, the parasite of Tether, forced them to show their centralization where Bitcoin couldn't adapt, right? Bitcoin couldn't adapt. So it left. Tether left the Bitcoin network 
and went on to Ethereum. Ethereum could adapt in a centralized way. And so it has stayed on on Ethereum to a high degree, but also on Tron and other networks. But anyway, let's see what they're doing here. Um, Tether is opting for another Bitcoin layer stack. So instead of Omni, which is a layer two, they're going to use RGB, which is color coins on top of Lightning, on top of Bitcoin. So that's the stack. Bitcoin, Lightning, RGB. And it's also interesting here uh, because MasterCoin, when they launched, their thing was color coins. And colored coins are like you could uh, designate a SAT. It's kind of like ordinals in a way. Uh, you could designate a SAT to stand for something else, like a token itself. And uh, then you could trade those. So that was what the Omni protocol was or master coin. Uh, these are called color coins. Like you give them a color. And RGB is the modern version of color coins. Uh, so they're leaving the old version of color coins and they're going to the new version of color coins. Um, but I think this is great. This is perfect, perfect fit on RGB and lightning. Tether will instead offer its Bitcoin implementation of USDT on RGB, on RGB, a layer two and layer three network for Bitcoin and the lightning network. So like I said, it's, it's a, uh, Consensus layer, Bitcoin, then Lightning, and then RGB works with Lightning. Tether said that this would offer unparalleled scalability and noted that it is contributing to the RGB's development. Tether, once again, proves it's a major ally to Bitcoin with this move, using layer two and three tech, but also contributing toward development. So what does this mean for being a parasite? Um, this gives it the ability to not have to be like that. Um, I think there are going to be major changes coming to stable coins in the near future because I think they're going to get green lit. I don't think everyone expects the Fed and regulators to crack down on stable coins, but I don't think they're going to do that. They're Regulators are constantly trying to green light and to give them special exceptions, um, you know, let them register as banks and, and so on and so forth. So I think there's going to be some major moves in stable coins. Uh, this is Tether using layer two and three on Bitcoin. I think it's fantastic news, but that is it for today. So guys, thank you for joining me. Uh, if you like this, share it around. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter because this comes out free every monday join me here every monday to go over each week's uh, issue i also do other live streams throughout the week usually monday wednesday friday and then thursday i'm on with uh bitcoin magazine for FedWatch live at 12 30 eastern check that out if you guys want to support my content there's ways to do that on the website bitcoinandmarkets.com as well and that's it see you on the next one bye